The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Welcome to Mind Body Pause with Charlie Kale, holistic living for you and your animals. You found your happy place to nurture your connection to animals with enlightening information from the innovators who make their world a better place. This is Mind Body Pause on Empower Radio. Now, here's your host, fellow animal lover, Charlie Kale. Hello, welcome to Mind Body Pause, holistic living for you and your animals. Thank you so much for sharing my favorite time of the week with me. This is show number 26, Being Fluent in Dog with Mark Beckoff and Jessica Pierce. I'm Charlie Kale, a passionate dog and cat mom, broadcaster and Reiki practitioner in San Francisco at Energy Healing for People and Paws at charliekale.com. I do distant healings as well as in-person appointments because energy transcends space and time. This is your safe place to honor animals, where we will nurture our connection to them mentally, emotionally, physically, and spiritually. My guests wrote the new book, Unleashing Your Dog, A Field Guide to Giving Your Canine Companion the Best Life Possible. And they have such impressive credentials that it would take up the whole show introducing them. So I'm going to condense it to just the juicy parts. Mark Beckoff is an acclaimed animal behavior expert whom you've read in Psychology Today, as well as one or more of the 31 books he's written, including the bestseller, The Emotional Lives of Animals. He lives in Boulder, Colorado. Jessica Pierce is a lead bioethicist and the author of nine books as well as published works in the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, The Guardian, and Psychology Today. After postgraduate degrees from Harvard University and University of Virginia, she now lives in Colorado where I hope she's still celebrating the NCAA win of UVA last week. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> Go yes! UVA. <laughs> totally. I was so proud of them. I'm from Virginia oh, myself, yes. from the Shenandoah Valley, and I did radio shows in Charlottesville. So I oh, have a nice. oh, and I had nice. a I had a um an ankle surgery at UVA. So <laughs> that makes it very special indeed. <laughs> it does. So welcome, Mark and Jessica. Thank you. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> your book, Unleashing Your Dog, a field guide to giving your canine companion the best life possible really has an irreverent tone of a field guide. I mean, I love the tongue-in-cheek, um, mildly sarcastic comments in it that made me laugh out loud at times. <laughs> which <Yeah>. one? <laughs> yeah, which ones? No, so, um, no, I take it that's the way you two work together, that there's some give and take and a little prodding and poking, but it was all... It, it, well, it was all done with very, um, you were very careful not to place judgment on people. You would talk about a study and say what your opinion is about it, but you wouldn't judge. I could tell you weren't judging, even though I, as the reader, was judging. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's nothing to be gained by judging people because, as we wrote in the book, you know, the vast majority of people who choose to share their homes and hearts with the dog really want to do the best thing for the individual. And that is so true. So can you explain what it really means to unleash your dog? Go ahead, Jessica. Well, what we mean is, um, we mean it both literally and metaphorically. I'm literally that dogs love it 
when they get time to just be off leash and run at their own speed or sniff at their own speed and make their own choices about what they're going to do in what direction and, and why and who they're going to interact with and so forth. So um, giving them some space to be themselves and metaphorically just, again, allowing our dogs to be dogs and to be themselves, um, allowing them to to make choices and, you know, not having to, I mean, I think there's this kind of helicopter parenting that goes on with dogs, just like it does with human children that, you know, we feel like we need to control every moment of their day or everything that they do. And it's not healthy for us or them. We need to just let them do their own thing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. I did, I did a little study at one of the local dog parks on helicoptering. Um, <laughs> I found that um, around 85% of the time people are saying something like, no, don't do that. Stop. And only, you know, so the rest of the time they may be praising and of the 15 or so percent that they'll say good dog, only about 5% of it is spontaneous. You know, where, I mean, I always say to my dogs, good dog. And people will say, well, they didn't do anything. And I said, you know, it's very important to tell them that they're a good dog, even if, even if they're just being a dog. Thank you, because being a dog is being such a loving companion to us, because we're so not perfect. Exactly. <laughs> and so I'm always telling um, both my dog, well, all my animals, actually, my cats, too, and, you know, if they're just sitting there looking at me with loving eyes, I'm like, you're a good baby. Thank you. I appreciate you. So that they know it's appreciated and they are being you know, good in our terms are, and that's kind of a judgment call when we say that. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I think what Jessica said, you know, is so true that people don't realize that, you know, that dogs are really captive animals. And uh, we make it clear in the book that that's not a negative thing, but we control their lives. And what we want to do is give them agency to make choices and to have more control in their lives. And, you know, we called it a field guide because it really is. We laid out the science of the five senses because we organized the book around the five senses. And then we explained that not allowing a dog to sniff or listen to sounds is a deprivation. And there's ways to um, enhance them. Well, yeah. We don't I, oh, I was, I was just going to add on that point that Mark's making that, you know, we... And the, the idea that our dogs are, are being bad um, when they don't do exactly what we expect or want them to do. Um, one of the things that we really try to impress upon readers is that living in human environments is challenging for dogs. So, you know, that they're, they're really making compromises all day long to kind of survive in, in our human environments. And we need to make compromises, too, and kind of be forgiving um, toward them when, you know, when they, when they don't fit so easily into our expectations or are challenged by our environment, you know, in, in a sensory way, for example, by finding loud noises aversive, like, why would you get angry at a dog for, 
Yeah. For being afraid of loud noises or for being upset by being left alone for for many hours a day. Um, So trying to change people's perspective. So our dogs aren't being bad. They're just challenged by the circumstances that we um, that we ask them to live under. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And we don't realize it, but we have control over every single thing in our dog's life. So we're keeping them in a doggy jail. And you may say, oh, <laughs> people may say, oh, hey, it's a pretty nice jail. I'd like to live in that jail. No, you wouldn't. No, you, you have wouldn't. no exactly. control. No, you wouldn't. And, and so it's a great mind shift that the book starts out shifting your, your realization and looking at it through a dog size. I mean, they're not being a bad dog by by rolling around in poop. They're just, <laughs> they're yeah. just like, oh my god, who's this? And and oh, what's their health status? And oh, they seem like a like a nice animal. And oh, I want some of this on me. And it, they're not being bad in their eyes. We're just grossed out in our vision of life. Right, because like you know, a lot of dogs I call them butt seekers and groin <laughs> seekers and crotch seekers, and and I always think that if dogs had Facebook, it would be called butt book. And I think that um, what you're saying though is true because people need to recognize what are dog appropriate behaviors, and even if we're offended by them, not allowing dogs to exercise those you know, to, to exercise those behaviors and exercise those senses really are forms of deprivation. And once again, it's not because the people necessarily are being cruel or intentionally mean. It's just they're not fluent or in dog or dog literate. Right. Talking with Mark Beckoff and Jessica Pierce, authors of the new book, Unleashing Your Dog, A Field Guide to Giving Your Canine Companion the Best Life Possible. One of the changes I made after reading your book is now I don't apologize for walking more slowly and letting my dog sniff all they want while we're out for a walk. I, You know one of those things. I have a German (laughs) shepherd who, you know, like they they thrive on the, the interest and the education they're getting from everything they sniff and they're environment. And, you know, I'd been told back in the day, no, you must have control of the walk. You do. You let her stop when you want her to. Exactly. Yeah. And I want to take wrong. I want to take a sledgehammer to that alpha theory right now. And that belief that we have to dominate our dogs or they won't respect us. No, absolutely. It's, it's a name. I mean, it, you know, that's one of the examples where people are utterly dog illiterate and, Unfortunately, you know, a lot of I don't want to say a lot of people, but I'm sure there are people who decide to get a dog because they're control freaks. But if they understood what the dog really needed, then perhaps they would, you know, let up on that. Um, And I'm glad to hear you made a change. Thank you. Oh, and I was never harsh about it, but I was just like, oh, come on, guys. Come on. Let's let's move it along. But now I'm like, hey, you want to stand here and sniff for two whole minutes? We're doing it. And I let them now. And, our, and the walks are calmer. I usually let them play at the dog park anyway. So, because <laughs> literally, I I do like to literally unleash them either at the, um, we go to the part of the beach where the dogs can be unleashed or the dog parks where they can be um, off leash. Because that's what I prefer to do. But there are times we can't go. And so, when we go on a walk, now I'm just like, ah, you want to sniff? You sniff anything you want. It's okay with me. Yep. 
I'd like what to... happens when your two dogs have different ideas about <laughs> what they want to sniff and how long they want to do it? Giant German Shepherd gets to choose because she, yeah. <laughs> she's bigger and stronger, and little guy has to like. He's fine. It's like he's like, okay, well, if she's sniffing it, then there's something interesting there, and I need to sniff it too. So they usually are fine with it. <laughs> that's a good question. That's a great question, but I think what your answer is a good one too. That they will work out that relationship, and it gives them a little, you know, choice and control over their own lives. So. They'll learn how to settle. If, I mean, if a dispute or a disagreement comes up, they'll negotiate it and they don't need you. You're so right. And there's a lesson for us because little guy changes his mindset from, I want to go there to, oh, wait a minute. She's awfully interested in that. Well, maybe I should be too. And then he's, then all of a sudden he's happy and he made that choice to be happy. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, it's related to something else that we wrote about, and that is, you know, people get freaked out at dog parks because they think that rough and tumble play is always going to escalate into something serious. And, you know, it only happens less than 1% of the time. And often when it happens, it's because the humans interfere. And, you know, the dogs do really well on their own. They can read one another. And when they can't read one another and they're concerned, they stop playing, but they don't fight. So right. we should let dogs resolve their conflicts. And yes, we can be wrong some of the time, but that's part of the unleashing paradigm is let dogs play when they want, with whom they want, how they want, and they will figure it all out without us. Right. And I'd like to put some things on blast. And I mean, that's my opinion. I know you guys didn't do the judgment thing, but I have such a hard problem with tail docking and ear docking. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So did we. But oh. we, wanted, we wanted to be nice about it. <laughs> you were very kind about it. Thank you. We worked hard on it. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah. know. We had to revise over and over. Does this sound too judgy? Yeah. But I'd love for you to bring up the, the scientific studies that you bring up in the book or just, just go for it. Just please let people understand why you don't want to dock their tail or their ears. Well, I'll let Jessica start because she's nice. <laughs> she's nicer than I am. <laughs> well, I mean, at least yeah. It, well, there's just there's no good reason to do it. I mean, the the only reason to do it is for cosmetic, like some breed standard, which is just a. It's not Arcade a good reason. Yeah, exactly. It's not a good reason <laughs> to do something that is harmful to a dog. And I mean, I had a dog whose tail was docked when he was a puppy. And, you know, I felt so bad for him throughout his life because it was sort of like he couldn't communicate everything that he wanted to say. Um, so he had to he had to wiggle his entire butt, which he was happy Aww. to do that. But it was sort of, I just, you know, it was like... And I I had him at the same time as I had another dog whose tail should have been docked by breed standards, but wasn't, luckily. And she just, she could say so much with her tail and do so much with it. And, you know, if you watch dogs interacting, a lot of their visual communication with each other is through the tail. So if you if you take away most of that tail, 
you're you're reducing their capacity to speak clearly to other dogs. And the same thing with ears. Their ears are so expressive. Um, so not only is it painful for them to have their ears surgically cut, um, but it also, again, it reduces their capacity to interact with each other and send clear signals. And, you know, it, it may make it harder for them to to get along with other dogs um, because they can't send clear, clear signals. Something else you mentioned. Oh, go go ahead. No, I was going to say, following up on what Jessica just said, there's a reason why there's 18 different muscles that control the pinna. I mean, if, if there wasn't some value to being able to move the ears in very, very, um, you know, slight ways, fine ways, then you might not expect to see 18 muscles controlling them. So, when people ask me, I mean, I'm pretty forthright about it, and I would just shut down tail docking and ear cropping yesterday if I could, because it's all at the whim of the humans. The dogs, I mean, when I say they don't care, of course they care when their tail is amputated or their ears are mutilated, but they don't care what they look like. So let's just face it that it's a human, um, it's, it's a human revulsion. Yeah, and you hear these people saying, "Oh, well, small puppies don't feel pain." Yeah, when you when you do this to their tail, and that's just it's so absurd. Um, Like, well, let's try it on your, you know what, and see how you like it. Exactly, and and there was something else you mentioned in the book too that they need that long funnel for sound, and when some of that is cut back, they get too much sound, and it's it's so painful for their ears, for their hearing. Exactly. Yeah. And dogs are already assaulted by a a lot of sensory noise overload in their, in their human environments. And so making that even worse for them is, is not doing them any favors. Exactly. We wouldn't, we wouldn't like if somebody came up, you know, and said, well, your ears are too big or (laughs) want your ears to flop. So we're going to do it. And there's no reason there's no reason at all to think that they feel any less pain than we would when they're, you know, when an appendage, I mean, the ear, the pinna are appendages, the tail's an appendage. And it's just absolutely inane when people go, oh, they don't really care or they don't feel it. You know, do it to yourself. And that's right. It's just yeah. to rationalize it. Yeah. Another thing that I want people to do to themselves and see how it feels. Choke tunes, prong <laughs> collars, and that. shock collars. Oh my gosh! Yes, sorry, I just scared my cat because I. Got it. <laughs> well, no, I mean, once again, you know, I there's no reason to think that dogs suffer any less than we would if we had prongs in our neck or we were shocked or we had something around you know our neck that tightened when we didn't do something that our master, if you will, wanted us to do. Um, and, um, yeah, it just, it's absurd, but we want to be nice to people, but I'm not, (laughs) I'm not nice about prong and shock collars and choke collars. I, they should just go. And there's countries where you can't do, you know, you can't even use choke collars to use harnesses. So we're way, way behind in the United States on that. We are. And something you brought up in the book that our neck skin is thicker than a dog's. So if we think it's going to hurt, it's going to hurt worse on a dog. Fur does nothing to protect the neck or the trachea. 
Yeah. yeah, and I I had a a German short hair pointer mix dog who it, it kind of makes me ill now to think about this, but I was told by several trainers and by our local humane society that they don't have because of because they're a hunting breed they were bred to not have very much sensation in their neck, so if you put on a prong collar which is what was recommended to me because Maya was a terrible puller. Um, they don't feel it. And it, it just, <laughs> it, it is, it's wrong and it's backwards. And I, I feel terrible about it now, but um, I, it is a myth that's perpetuated that the dogs don't feel it or they have this tough skin on their neck and it's just not true. Exactly. It just blows my mind how people can rationalize it. But I think it's also people need to be, I guess, part of the message here is um, we all do things that then we later come to kind of cringe about. So if, if it is something you just haven't been aware of, you know, forgive yourself, <laughs> you know, change change the way you're doing things. But, you know, there's no such thing as a perfect <laughs> dog parent, just like there's no such thing as a perfect human parent. We all make mistakes and look back at things. We're like, oh my God, did I actually <laughs> parent that way? Um, so, you know, it's just, a, it's a learning process. And a lot of people on their first dog, especially, they, they don't know this yet. So. Yeah. And, and that's why we don't blame or judge people in the book, because like I said before, I really believe that most people who get dogs really, um, or other companion animals really want to do the best that they can for them. But, you know, another fact that we point out in the book, in one study, you know, less than 25% of people knew anything about the behavior or the wants and the needs of the animal who they brought home. And so, you know, you could argue that they should show some degree of, say, dog literacy before they're allowed to bring a dog home. And I've suggested that breeders who we could do without. And, yes, me too. And, and, I agree. And, and, and rescue, you know, humane societies and rescue centers would do well to give them, like, give people a Cliff Notes, um, you know, course, a couple of handouts, you know, about basic dog behavior where you could list some of the things that we have in the book about the um, nature of their senses. And and when I've talked to friends about it recently, you know, they're really open to it. Oh, I didn't know they had 18 muscles in their ears. Oh, I didn't realize they could, you know, we knew that we knew that their uh, olfactory acuity was greater than ours, but they didn't know that, you know, they breathe in and out differently. Um, and the people I know really love to know that information. And like you're changed, you know, you changed your walking style. So too have some of my friends. So, um, Right. Yeah, there's a lot we can do. <laughs> and your book should be required reading for anyone, whether they have had dogs in the past or not, who wants to adopt a dog. Um, I, I'm a big supporter of the small rescues. I mean, all the rescues and shelters, but especially the small ones who still try to go do home visits mm -hmm. and make sure that the animal is the right fit for the home. And then school, not school, but, you know, help the new family along in understanding what they're in for. And the larger shelters just don't have the human power or the time to be able to do that. Yeah. I mean, 
I've had people say to me, well, you know, you're just asking them to do more and it's just so hard to have dogs be adopted or fostered. And, you know, I think it's a matter, I've been thinking about it a lot. And I think it's a matter of presentation as well. You know, if you say to somebody, look, you know, you're bringing a live sentient being home. So here are some of the basics. I mean, I mean, you could list them on one page. Literally, you could do them in a little pamphlet that gives them the basic knowledge they need to know about dog ethology. Oh, you know what? It could produce a video. And before they get to take their little buddy home, they would sit there and watch the video. And then yep. afterwards say, hey, do you have any questions? Yeah. That would be no. great. Mark, Mark volunteers. <laughs> oh, no, I didn't quite. I was going to volunteer Jessica because she's pretty <laughs> than I am. But, but, but right. I mean, that could, that could be a possibility. But, but once again, you know, I just noticed with people when I've talked to them over the phone or I get emails, I've had a lot of emails, you know, I, from people saying, my dog did this. What do you think? And, of course, it's hard to know if you don't mm. see the specific situation. But there are some very basic principles that are easy to um, communicate, like let your dog exercise agency control and, you know, make choices, give your dog the, let your dog play to their heart's content, make sure they have clean food and clean, good food and clean water. I mean, but once again, you know, a lot of people say, oh, I got a dog. She's just a dog. And they don't mean that in a pejorative way. They just don't realize how rich a life a dog can have and how when you take care of a dog, it's not only good for the dog, but it's good for you and the relationship that you form with the dog. Exactly. We are down to just a minute left. What is one last thing you'd like to impress upon everyone? Go ahead, Jessica. Um, I guess my wishes that we humans would be as accepting of our dog's individual quirks and foibles as they are of ours. Yeah. 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 There's no such thing as a cranky dog or, you know, an unfriendly dog. They just, they have their own wants and needs and, you know, not every dog has to be a I love everybody in the whole world, you know, dogs and people alike lab. No, right. And I would add that every dog is a unique individual and that everybody is obliged to work for a mutually respectful and dignified relationship where there's give and take and ongoing negotiations and that we are not the bosses. Here, yes. here. <laughs> Thank you, Mark Beckoff and Jessica Pierce, authors of the new book, Unleashing Your Dog, A Field Guide to Giving Your Canine Companion the Best Life Possible, available everywhere books are sold, but also at newworldlibrary.com. Thank you for hanging out with me on Mind Body Paws, holistic living for you and your animals. I'm Charlie Kale. Check out my Reiki business, Energy Healing for People and Paws, for in-person sessions or distant healing sessions over the phone or on Skype for people or animals at charliekale.com. 
charlekayle.com, C-H-A-R-L-Y-K-A-Y-L-E.com. You can find past shows there, also on my page at Empower Radio. And please connect with me on social media. Special thanks to Brent Carey, the CEO of Empower Radio, for his continued love and support. And to producers Remy Smith and Tony Ficini back in the Detroit, trying to get that new studio up and running. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Mark and Jessica, for your patience trying to get this show on the road. Take care and remember, no matter what's going on with your animals, don't beat yourself up thinking you could have done better because you're doing the best you can. They know it and they chose you anyway and love you for it. Mind Body Pause is a guilt-free, leash-free zone. See you next time. Hey, it's Radley Valentine. Join me for a brand new way of connecting with your angels on my new podcast, The Angel Tarot Show. Each week, you'll meet your angelic guides and guardians and find new ways to unlock unconditional love, tune into your intuitive abilities, and create the joy-filled life that, well, you've always wanted. Plus, you'll get a useful and timely energetic weather report, bringing you guidance for the coming week. Tap into the healing, hope, and guidance that's all around you on the Angel Tarot Show, exclusively on mindbodyspirit.fm.